0: This is Trinity Church of the Vale Valley, loving God, loving people, and living free. Hello everyone, this is Pastor Ethan, and today is actually Friday, May the 26th, 2023, and this message that I'm recording for you now I'm going to give at our chapel at Beaver Creek on Sunday the 28th of May. Again, 2023. We're continuing in our series of examining the prayers of Paul. The title of the series is Prayer from the Heart of God. And what we're doing is using these, some of the, the key prayers of Paul, as a lens to understanding, to exploring the primary themes and focus of prayer that we see in the larger New Testament. Uh, this is our third message, and if you missed the previous two, I encourage you to go back and give, give a listen to them, especially the first one, because we laid out some big kind of frameworks, doctrinal, more, I guess, theological is a better, a better word, theological framework for this discussion that we are now going through. I want to start today with a small thought experiment. Now, here's the question. Is it possible to know the unknowable? Let me give you an image. I want you to think of the Grand Canyon. If you've been there, you can do this maybe a little bit better than someone who hasn't been there. But think of the Grand Canyon or maybe the greatest vista that you have ever stood and beheld, right, in your own experience. But I'm going to use the example of the Grand Canyon. Now, I want you to hold in your mind the entirety of every aspect, viewpoint, vista, perspective and detail of the Grand Canyon. Well, you should think, well, Ethan, that's impossible. You you, you can't do that. There is no vista that can capture the whole thing. It's just too big. In fact, the only way you could even begin to approach knowing the totality of the Grand Canyon, Canyon would be by spending a lifetime in it, exploring it, and experiencing it. But even then, in its entirety... The Grand Canyon is beyond knowing. Okay? Now, I want you to think of the concept of an eternal God who is the creator of the Grand Canyon. The Grand Canyon, but a, a, like a smudge mark upon the planet, the planet Earth, which is itself just a dot of dust within the larger universe, which God is the creator of. Would it be possible to know, to grasp, to fully comprehend any element of this God, much less the greatest defining character of this God. Friends, our scripture today is the second great prayer in Ephesians where we are going to hear Paul pray that we would do just this, that we would know the unknowable. And this prayer, if you really consider it, my friends, it's it's just mind-bending. It's hard to grapple with its implications, and its implications are incredibly important. It also is essential to understand God's nature and character, his relationship to us, why he created us, and the life into which we are called. But before we go there, before we attempt to go there, let's give a little context to our passage today. You know, if we zoom out to look at Ephesians chapter 2-3, and three, a very general synopsis of it, is how Paul describes gloriously God's work in Christ of reconciling and redeeming his creation back to himself in Christ. This is summed up in the famous pro, excuse me. This is summed up in the famous proclamation of Ephesians chapter 2 verses 4 and 5 where we read this. But because of his great love for us God, who's rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions and our sin. It is by grace that you have been saved. You know, this is one of the New Testament's clearest statements of what happened when we came, when a person comes to faith in Christ. We have been brought from death to life. That is a huge topic to explore. And we see an image emerge as we look closely through Ephesians chapter 2. Consider it just these two lists that I'm going to make here in your mind. On the one hand, we have the brokenness of the human condition. And then on the other hand, what becomes true when a person enters into a new life and identity in Christ? All right. Well, on the one hand, what was true is we were dead. We were dead in our sin. Right, the word sin today has become almost hopelessly... All right. cliched and compromised, but we were dead in our brokenness of the human condition and our separation from God. And in that condition, we followed the spirit of disobedience, as Paul describes it, the ruler of this world. We were gratifying the cravings of our flesh. By the way, remember, our flesh isn't sexual sin per se, it is self-dependence, which leads to a whole host of issues. We were deserving of wrath, right? the natural consequences of our separation from God. We were excluded from citizenship with God's people. We were far away. We were foreigners and strangers. We were without hope and without God in the world. Right? We see all of that in the larger context of the Scripture. Now, being receivers of God's great love and mercy, we are made alive. We are saved by grace. We are raised up and seated with God in the heavenly realms. We are God's handiwork, His masterpiece. We are created for good works. Rather than being far away, we have been brought near. We are a new humanity, reconciled to God. We now have access to God. We are citizens of God's people, members of His family. We are a dwelling in which God lives by His Spirit. Friends, throughout Ephesians, we see the theme that God's work, God's purpose in Christ, by the way, we see this in Colossians as well, especially in Colossians chapter one. But here we see that God's purpose in Christ is to move people out of column A, being separated from God, into column B, into what is now true of us in our union with God in Christ. But not only that, As we near, as we hear Paul's prayer, he says that God is proclaiming this work not just to people, but to the spiritual realm as well. Okay? With that in mind, that's huge, but with that in mind, let's start in Ephesians chapter 3, verses 10 through 13, where Paul says that God's intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of god should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in christ jesus our lord a whole different topic but i've just got to mention make a mention that he accomplished right this is a work that god in his sovereignty in his right the the the, the god being outside of time looking at the totality of his work that he has already accomplished in christ jesus our lord for in Him and through Him, through faith in Him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. I ask you, therefore, Paul says, not to be discouraged because of my sufferings for you, which are your glory. All right. because This is just huge. God's purpose, His intent, what we just read in that scripture, is that His manifold wisdom, the manifold wisdom of God, the fullness of God's nature and purpose will be made to the world and to all the authorities, the spiritual realms, right, of the universe, that these will be made known, how? Through the church, right, through the body of Christ, through the community of faith, through us, right, the body of Christ animated and directed by the Holy Spirit in this world. Now, friends, this is a key concept we don't want to miss. Paul just said that God's intent is for his wisdom, right, his nature and purpose to be revealed in a cosmic scope. And his ongoing strategy for this revelation is what he is doing through the community of believers, through people. And now, with this in mind, Paul prays that we would be equipped with the essential means, right, the essential knowledge and provision for how God will work through us in this way. And then he says, so Paul says, for this reason, okay, going on in verse 14, for this reason, Paul says, I kneel before the Father, because this is what God is doing, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. Okay, before he even starts to pray, Paul acknowledges that our identity, who we are, flows from God himself. He is the source of our life, right? Our name, our identity, our life is derived from him. And now Paul begins to pray by asking God that we would have power. Going on in verse 16, Paul says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, God may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being. I'll just stop there for a second. Friends, the Spirit leads Paul to pray that God would strengthen us with his power. This is a key word. It occurs three times right here in this prayer, right? Many, many times in the New Testament. Right? The Greek word here, the Greek word here, at least in this, this passage, is, is um dunamis. I might be mispronouncing that, but it means dynamic. Right? It is a living power, it is a miraculous power. We saw this in our passage last week when Paul prayed that we would know the power of Christ's resurrection in all of who we are. And the source of this power is God's Spirit, the Holy Spirit in our inner being, right? Our union with Christ. You know, it's as if God is saying, because He is, I have a calling for which I have created you. And so that you will be able and equipped to do this, I'm giving you myself. In Christ, I will dwell within you, and you will know me, you will know my power by your faith. Right, again, he says, I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Right, the, the, the goal, the working of God's power is that we would know Christ within us this echoes what we saw back in colossians 1:27 where paul says to them right, to us god has chosen to make known among the gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery which is christ in you the hope of glory all right that god's power you know we think of all these things god you know the power to do this the power to do this god says no way my, my power to you is that you would know me that i am with you that i am in you Paul continues, and he prays now, having the power to know God, that we would be rooted and established. Verse 17, he says, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love. Okay, let's talk about that. You know, there's two terms um, here to describe the nature of our connection to God. The first that Paul uses, excuse me, is rooted, right? That's a biological term. Right? You know, have you ever tried to remove a tree stump? Remember back in high school, I did lawn work to earn, earn some money in the summers. And um, one time, this guy hired me to dig this tree stump out of his yard. Right? It, 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 it was almost impossible. Right? Rooted. Right? That image—it is strong, immovable, being rooted. And then the second word is established. This is really an architectural term. Right? What's the most important part of any building? It's the foundation. In Christ, we are rooted and established in what? In God's love. Our foundation rests on, our roots are sustained and anchored in the love of Christ. Friends, we don't want to miss what is unfolding here. We are the means by which the wisdom, the nature, the purpose of God will be revealed to all things. And Paul prays that we may experience the power of God to know his presence in our lives so that we have the purpose of God, the power of God, so that we may experience the presence of God. And all of these things are rooted, all these concepts are rooted and established in the great essential reality of God's nature, which is his love. Wow. Friends, think with me for just a moment. Within the world of the conservative evangelical, I guess, world or Christian culture, conservative Christian culture, and I don't, I don't say that necessarily pejoratively. The, the term conservative evangelical Christian culture has a lot of, well, honestly, deservedly like earned in some cases, but baggage in our cultural today, right? But within, I'll just say, conservative Christian culture, okay? If we were to survey theologians, pastors, church leaders, Christian Christian politicians and by that I mean politicians for whom their Christian identity is core to their political identity okay and go and just you know do do hundreds of interviews in, in that space and and we ask and you could add to that right professing Christians right active profession Christians and we were to ask this question, what are the essential realities? The non-negotiable truths of the Christian faith, of the church, are the essential things of being in a restored relationship with God through Christ. And, we would add to that, the answers must honestly reflect what we spend the most time and emotional energy actually talking about and saying Maybe posting on social media, emails that we forward to people, right? Things we talk about passionately when we gather with other like-minded believers, right? What would be the answer to that question, right? What's the non-negotiable? What are the essential things of being a part of the Christian community? What would be the answers? Would it be the doctrine of salvation, right? That faith, that salvation is through faith in Christ alone? Would it be the doctrines associated with hell and heaven? Maybe would it be the doctrine of Christology, in other words, who Jesus is? Would it maybe be a correct understanding or perceived correct understanding of sin, what sin is, how we see it, how we identify it, maybe calling it out in our culture? Or maybe, for some, they would say, no, 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 it's the need for evangelism, discipleship, and church growth. Others may say, no, the essential thing we need to talk about and be identified with today is the doctrine of the end times. Maybe others would say, well, no, it's the whole doctrine and understanding around predestination and God's sovereignty. Others may say, right, if we just look at really what takes up the bandwidth of what we talk about as Christians in the Christian community, well, they would say, well, maybe it's the perspectives on key social moral issues. That's the essential thing. It's what you believe about, let's say, human sexuality, homosexuality, questions about gender identity, maybe your stance on abortion, your stance on gun control, capitalism, and individual freedoms, right? Would you include in that list how people vote? Now, guys, hear me. I'm speaking really sincerely. I'm desiring to speak humbly and honestly here. Some of those things that I just walked through are incredibly and centrally important doctrinal issues. All of the things I just described are legitimate points of discussion to be informed by a biblical worldview. But none of these are the essential reality that Paul proclaims that we must know and we must show if we are to be a part of God's manifold wisdom to reveal himself to the world. Because that essential reality is the love of God. Paul goes on and he continues here with his second plea for the church to know God's power. All right, he's prayed, I pray that you, being rooted, established in love, all right, and we're in verse 18 now, that you may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge. Did you hear 19 again? To know this love that surpasses knowledge. My friends, there it is. That's the Grand Canyon. The call to know that, which surpasses the ability to know, which surpasses knowledge. This is the great equipping the Holy Spirit inspires Paul to pray for us to process. The fullness, the full extent, right, the experience in every direction and dimension of life of God's love. Again, consider, Paul prays that the experience of our life, right? When he says to know that which is beyond knowledge, which surpasses knowledge, means it's not just doctrine, right? It's experience. Paul prays that the experience of our life may be one of continually, increasingly grasping the magnitude of God's glory and his nature summed up in his love. It's as if God comes to us and he says, My child, I love you. I created you. You are mine. You are my precious possession. And I am going to use you to reveal my wisdom, my nature, and my kingdom purpose to this world and to this cosmos. And for us to do this together, I'm going to equip you with the greatest resource you will need. And it is the knowledge and the experience of the full extent of my love. Well, friends, Paul concludes the prayer, concludes this thought with one more superlative. And it's that when we begin to understand and experience the nature and the presence of God's love, we will come to know, Paul says, the fullness of God himself. Paul prays, and to, that we would know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. That you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. oh my friends, there is so much there, but I just want to give you one thought on this. Paul here makes an inseparable connection between the fullness, the genuineness of God's presence, right, his fullness, and our experience and expression of God's love. In church, we must not miss this. To experience the fullness of God is to know and experience the love of God. To consider the logical inverse of this truth, that would mean that there is no experience of God's presence that doesn't flow out of God's love. Likewise, right, and this is where it gets really practical, there is no expression of God's nature that isn't also an expression of God's love. And friends, as I just said, this gets practical really quick. I want you to think of some of the relational dynamics in your life. How you speak to your spouse, your children, family members. How you lead and treat, perhaps, your employees. How you relate to the people that you don't even know, but with whom you interact throughout a day. Right? Your politics. right? The political leaders that you support. How you speak about people to other people. Right, think about that one again. How you speak about people to other people. Right, how you consider polo- political and social issues. How you react or respond to frustrating people, you know, maybe the content of that email that you're about to forward, right? The things that you post or forward or thumbs up on social media. Okay, think about this. In any of these, and all of these, right, just speaking of this from a personal lens, do my actions, my words, what I'm about to say, and how I say it does this flow from and manifest the love and the goodness of God? You see, and this is personal, when we think we are representing God in what we say and do, if what we say and do is not expressive of the unending love of God, then we are not representing God. But when we do express and manifest the love the goodness, the grace, the mercy, the kindness, the patience, the redemptive heart of God, even in the smallest of ways, we can't imagine the power of what God may do with our expression of his nature and his character into this world around us. Oh, man. Let let me just conclude with this. I want to acknowledge two important things that I didn't touch on here. The first is the idea of what God's love to us and through us, well, what it looks like, right? how it's actually experienced and expressed in the midst of life as it really is. Right? Just a few examples. Right? How do we love people with whom we struggle? Right? What does that really look like? How does sincere love for people not become moral permissiveness and enablement? Right? How do we balance the New Testament's call to sacrificial love with our own need for boundaries and personal health. You know, these are all important questions raised by this scripture and other scripture like it, right? And you could add a lot, many, many more questions to that list. And these are things that we should spend more time honestly talking about and wrestling with, right? But the second acknowledgement of what I didn't touch on is one of the great questions, of course, of the Christian faith. How do we understanding, how do we understand the love of God in light of the pervasive reality of human suffering and injustice. And as you well know, there are many books, right, many answers people have tried to give over the years. And honestly, so if the well-intentioned, and some are really helpful, but most of them are going to fall short of really honestly addressing this question. And this, too, is something we should not just gloss over. We should spend more time honestly wrestling with. Because, right, to overuse the word honestly, we may honestly say, Ethan, I don't understand the love of God. Right? Doctrinally, I can make the case. I know the scriptures, but I'm not sure that I experience it. And I sure don't know that I'm even remotely capable of expressing the fullness of the love of God. And friends, I think if Paul were here, he might just say, I know, I understand, I get it. And this is why we need to pray in this way. This is why I am praying that we would know the love of Christ. This is why one of the primary things prayer in the New Testament points us toward is praying that we, with all of our questions and our doubts and the the, the things we struggle and wrestle, wrestle with, that we would know and express and experience the fullness of the love of God. So let me just take a tiny shot at that right now. Oh Lord God, Jesus, out of your glorious riches, we pray for you to strengthen us with power through your spirit in our inner being so that we may experience through our faith the reality of your presence in our hearts. And Lord, we pray that we would be in that union with you, that we would be rooted and established before anything else in your love, and that we would have your power, along with every believer, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and that we would know that love, we would know your love that surpasses knowledge, and that we may know and experience in that love the fullness of your presence, in all of who we are. Wow. Church, I had an anecdote I was going to add to this, but I think I'm just going to stop here. Um, I encourage you to go back and read through that that passage. Read through that prayer. Maybe write it out, personalize it in the first person. Make it your own. And consider how does this prayer, for us to know and experience and express the fullness of the love of God, how does this take on practical outworking In your own life, right? In your own life. So, church, I love you. I look forward as we take the next step next week in our next prayer of Paul. And, um, yeah, it's Memorial Day weekend, so I pray that you've had a wonderful weekend, maybe if you're traveling with your family. But in any case, I love you, and look forward to being back here with you again next week. (music)